Hello and welcome to the next in my Caesar studies in John's Gospel. I think the way we think of prophecy, the way we described prophets, is probably quite alien to what the Bible means by prophets and prophecy. What I mean is this. We tend to think of the future as being a straight, predetermined path. And prophets are people who are able to see into the future, who are able to know the future, and who tell us what the future holds, and that prophecy is telling us the future. That's actually completely alien to the Bible. In fact, it's the opposite of what the Bible wants because the Bible tells us very clearly two things. Firstly, that we are not to try to find out what the future holds. In fact, we are to ignore and have nothing to do with people who tell us the future. And the reason for that is that I think the Bible is fairly clear that the future is changed by our choices now. And that God actually is trying to get us to change our future. And so prophecy is really that moment of a crossroads where we don't know which way to turn. And the prophets come and they bring God's words. They bring God's instruction. They bring the very voice of God into a moment to guide us as to which path to choose. So in the Bible, the prophets are not the people who tell the future. They're the people who speak God's word. They're the people who tell us what God wants us to do. Now, why are we talking about this? Well, we're in John chapter 7, and we're going to pick it up where we've left it in our last study. We've talked about this debate that Jesus is having with the crowds, and many put their faith in him. And following their, putting their faith in Jesus, he talks about them being able to drink of the Holy Spirit, that anyone who is thirsty was to come to him and drink, and rivers of living water will flow from within. And in our last talk, we explored what he meant in 739, when he says, when John tells us that Jesus is meaning the Spirit of God flowing from within. So we're going to follow on in John 7 and verse 40. On hearing these words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. The prophet, they say. Now, remember, Jesus has said nothing about telling the future. He's not told them anything that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. So their belief that he's a prophet is not because he's telling the future. It is to do with this idea that they believe he is speaking the very word of God for that moment. And they use the phrase, the prophet. Now that is because of the understanding that before the Messiah was to come, these are the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 18, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking, a prophet like me from among you, from your own people. You must listen to him. And we've done a bit of that when we looked earlier at the the account of John the Baptist. And it's probable In fact, I would say certain that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the one who is speaking God's word and preparing the way for the coming Messiah. But I want to leave that on one side and just go back to this idea of why did they think Jesus was a prophet? Because he was speaking the very word of God. Walter Brueggemann says this, The task of prophetic ministry is to nurture, nourish, and evoke a consciousness and perception alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant 
culture around us. It is a good thing that they perceive Jesus as a prophet. He is more than a prophet, but he is prophetic. He is speaking the word of God, as we looked at in our last study, because he is God. But it's important for us to look further at what it means to be a prophet and to speak God's word. So I want to unpack how the Old Testament prophets speak and to see how that compares with Jesus. And the first thing, as we talked about, is that crossroads, that a prophet is someone who guides in a moment in the Old Testament where uncertainty, what shall we do? What is your will, God? And the prophet is the one who hears from God and says, this is what we should do. An example of that comes from the prophet Samuel, who is choosing the next king of Israel. And uh, he's told that it's going to come from the family of Jesse. And he goes to the eldest son. And God says, no, it's not him. And we hear God speaking the word of God through Samuel. The Lord does not look on all the things human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. This is the word of a prophet. It's not predicting anything. It's just telling us how God sees something in order that they may be guided in what to do. So then the younger son, David, appears and the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David. So that's the first role of a prophet is to guide. And Jesus is the one who wants to guide us in life. Second area of a prophet in the Old Testament was to warn in order that the future might change, to warn them of the danger and the outcome of their life, perhaps of disobedience or of oppression or of injustice. So a classic example of that comes from the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 2 says, Woe to those who plan iniquity. And then he's going to spell out what that is. To those who plot evil on their beds, at morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet, they envy, they want the fields of others and seize them and their houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. And all of this, the prophet is saying, this is God's word to you, it is wrong. And you need to change because the justice and judgment and punishment of God is coming. So verse 3 of Micah says, Therefore the Lord says, I am planning a disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. And I think this is the seeds of where this misunderstanding of prophecy comes from, where people begin to think prophecy is about predicting the future. Now what Micah is saying is that you cannot change the judgment and punishment of God except in one way, which we'll see, come to in a moment. You cannot change God and say, uh, these things are okay. You cannot say, I'm going to get away with it. He's saying you cannot get away with it. But what we find explicit in many of these kind of passages and implicit in the rest is that these words of warning are always to encourage repentance. They are this crossroad. They are to change the future. So this is spelled out in Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to me. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, just like Micah 
has done. If at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted and torn down and destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not reflect on it, not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And much of the Old Testament prophet's words are around the word if. If you do this, if you don't do this. And so the words of God from the prophet are to change people. They are to shock them, saying, this is the path, this is the road, this is the choice you've taken at the crossroads. You're now on the wrong path, and that's where it's going to lead. So I'm telling you now, change direction, turn around, repent, go back to the crossroads, and take the next turning. But in the Old Testament, much of the words of the prophets are also reassurance. They are also words of hope. And those of you who know me well will know that one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament that I've preached on more than any other passage in the Old Testament comes from Ezekiel 34, where the prophet Ezekiel is speaking the words of God and God says, I myself will tend my sheep. I will come as a shepherd. We'll pick that up in a few passages time in John where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he is linking into this passage. He is fulfilling this prophecy. This prophecy of reassurance. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays and bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Isn't that glorious? This is the word of God. This is what he's going to do. This is what the Messiah is going to do. And I'm going to come back to this in a moment, but just point it out here that the prophets tell us what God is going to do. And that is different from telling us what our future is. My future is dependent on the choices I make. But what God is going to do is dependent on his faithfulness and his love and his power over sin. I will search for the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And we go, yes, Lord, we want to be part of that. And the final part is the warning. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. Those who have no place for God because they use and resort to their own power and their own strength, he will destroy. For I will shepherd the flock with justice. The prophets speaking the word of God combine reassurance with challenge with justice. And they said, surely Jesus is a prophet. So this is my first question to reflect on. What words of Jesus are prophetic for us? In other words, bringing guidance or challenge or hope. What is it that Jesus is saying? As you go back and reflect on the words of Jesus, you say, that's prophetic for me. That is the word I need to hear at this time to change my behavior, to guide my behavior, to reassure me of God's love. Now, as I said, 
The final aspect of the words of the prophets in the Old Testament was to speak of the coming Messiah. And this is where we got confused about prediction. Because they tell us about the Messiah, about Jesus. But that's not the same as telling us all the things that are going to happen in our lives. And to say that the birth of Jesus, for example, is planned for Bethlehem is not to say that all of my life is planned. Because Jesus is different. And I want to draw you, your attention to one of the great passages about the Messiah. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. He says, here is my servant. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. Now notice how that resonates with the last study in John and how we talked about Jesus bringing the spirit from within. We drink the water Jesus gives and we have the Holy Spirit within us. So Isaiah says, here is my servant, the coming one who I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. There's the echo of that prophecy in Ezekiel. The word of God is that the shepherd comes to rescue the broken, the lost, the hurting, the disadvantaged, the excluded, and to judge with justice those who did exclude them, those who did oppress them, those who did abandon them. He will bring justice to the nation. And then here is the startling part. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. So the prophecy of the Messiah is that the way he will come will be quietly, in a manger, on a donkey, on a cross. He will not shout out or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Then those of you who know me well will know that like Ezekiel, I love this passage. This is the nature of the God who comes among us. That he acts with gentleness, that he takes those who are at the very end of their strength, those who are at the very... Uh, end of feeling they have any value or any worth or any usefulness or any future and he does not destroy them but he restores them. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. So here is the sense in which the prophet is telling us the future. One is coming who will be gentle but will not be diverted from the task. He will triumph. And look at this last part until he establishes justice on the earth and in his teachings, the islands will put their hope. Now, why is that such a strange phrase to say the islands? Well, Israel's not an island. Israel is a landlocked nation. So for the islands to put their hope in God in the Messiah, it's all peoples, it's everybody outside of Israel. Now why have we looked at this passage? Because remember the crowd have said, some have said he's a prophet, but the next verse, John 7, 41 said, others said he is the Messiah. And it may be that they were thinking of Isaiah 42 and they said, yes, he is the one who's restoring who's who's, uh, looking in gentleness, coming. And you and I would say, yes, Jesus fulfills the prophecies of Isaiah. 
The problem is that their expectations of the Messiah were in part what we believe to be true, but in part they just run ahead a little bit and put a little bit more into it. So they expected the Messiah only to love God's people, to restore Israel, to restore the nation of Israel, to throw out the Romans because he loved God's people. They expected the Messiah to bring hope, and the hope was that the oppression that they felt by being occupied by the Roman Empire would be undone and they would be restored to being their own kingdom with their own great king, the new King David, the new Messiah. And therefore, their release from oppression would be the release from political oppression. And the Messiah would have power and authority. So others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? For, they say, this is 742, does not the scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Now, we know the Christmas story. We know how Jesus ends up getting born in Bethlehem when he's brought up in Nazareth. But they couldn't understand how this man from Nazareth could be the Messiah. And so their expectations of the Messiah were right but wrong. Yes, the Messiah is to love God's people, but actually he was to love all people. Remember Isaiah 42? The islands will put their hope in him. And the Messiah was coming for all people. And they were blinded partly by the Nazareth thing, but more by the fact that they had a misunderstanding of who the Messiah was to be. Yes, he was to, bring a, to be the bringer of hope, but this hope was eternal life. This hope was the conquering of the grave. And Jesus says again and again, I have come that you may have life. For the Son of God has come that we shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so the oppression that Jesus was coming to set us free from was not the political oppression of the Roman Empire, but the oppression of sin and shame and guilt and low self-esteem and feeling inadequate and feeling a failure and a messing up in our lives and discovering the release and freedom of forgiveness and grace and the restoration of being what God intended us to be, all coming from the filling of God's Spirit within. And so his power and authority is over death. And so we've asked the question, what words of Jesus are prophetic for us in bringing guidance, challenge, or hope? And our next question is, how is Jesus, our Messiah, releasing us from shame or death? He was prophetic, but he was also the Messiah. And we'll just wrap up the story of chapter 7. The people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him. But no one wanted to lay a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him to us? And he, they said, no one spoke the way this man does. This prophetic language, this messianic language, no one spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. He spoke prophetically. His words brought guidance, challenge, and the hope of God. And you see that in Jesus. 
He tells us how to live our life, but he challenges us as the way we live our life. And yet he also brings reassurance of God's love. He was prophetic. But also his words were messianic because they speak of love and deliverance and they had the power to transform and change lives. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. And we looked at one of our earlier sessions about uh, how, what, is it, what it means to, to be deceived and how there were people who were deceived. The Pharisees here are deceived. They can't accept Jesus, but they think others are deceived. And they say in justification, have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? And in John chapter 3, one of them, Nicodemus, has come to Jesus and he talked quietly at night with him. They're clearly not aware that Nicodemus has seemed to appear to be following Jesus. Because they say, no, this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them, their anger. And I find it interesting that their, their anger is that these people don't know the law. They're blaming them for not knowing the Old Testament. That bit about Bethlehem, perhaps. They're not blaming them for not knowing God. Presumably because all they know is Scripture without knowing God. It is possible to be versed and filled with knowledge and understanding of the Bible and not to know God and to be misled. But then Nicodemus speaks up. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? I'll leave you to decide whether you think Nicodemus is courageous in speaking out or not quite brave enough in full out disagreeing with them. But he does enough to throw them off, doesn't he? He does enough to defend Jesus. And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it. You will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. But we know Jesus is not a prophet. He is prophetic, but he was the Messiah from Bethlehem. And John 7 concludes, they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And we'll pick that up in our next study. So our questions... As we conclude our study, what words of Jesus are prophetic for us, bringing guidance, challenge, or hope? And how is Jesus, our Messiah, releasing us from the shame of death? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you do speak the very word of God into our lives. And that guides us. Lord, help us to be guided and to live out your words of how to live life how to love others, how to um, forgive others, how to be generous to others, how to speak the truth. Help us to live and follow the Sermon on the Mount. Help us to live out your words and to hear the challenge that they offer when we are going astray. Lord, be prophetic in our lives. Lord, we ask you also to be the Messiah, to save us from our sin from our shame, from our guilt, from our fear, from our own stupidity. Set us free.
and bring life everlasting. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.